Um, but this is something that my husband and I and our leadership team do focus on a lot. We are constantly reading. We're all lifelong learners, but we're constantly reading and listening to podcasts and trying to figure out how to continue to perfect that culture because that is one of the most sacred things that we have. And you're right. If that does start to go downhill, that's where all of our cracks are going to show. And that's, you know, things will fall apart quickly that way. So we're very, very careful on how we're continuing to build that. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fan-banana-tastically, Josh. How are you? Oh, we threw a banana in the middle of the fantastic. I did. Sounds like someone's ready to go bananas today. <laughs> Somebody's ready for this interview. Yeah. Question for you before yes. we get to the interview. Are you a baseball fan? I used to be a pretty mm -hmm. big baseball fan, but I wouldn't say I'm as much of a baseball fan anymore. Why do you think that is? That's an excellent question. Um, when I was younger, I played baseball. Um, and so that got me really interested. And then as a family, we went to quite a few baseball games. We were living, you know, just outside of Cleveland. So we go see the Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I was just more more into it. And then as I got older and interest changed and I started finding roller coasters and things like that, I probably stopped going to as many baseball games. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Are, are you a fan? I am a fan, have been, uh, you know, since I was a little kid growing up in Detroit as a Tigers fan. And, you know, my dad and I, we would take a trip every single summer. We'd go to a ballpark. And as I got a little older, those turned to from baseball trips into baseball and amusement park trips as my interests also evolved as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm still a pretty big baseball fan. I moved to Chicago about five years ago. I live pretty close to Wrigley Field, so it's pretty cool to, to be in that culture. But what's interesting is when you really think about it, attending a baseball game or attending most major sporting events, uh, there's a lot of friction in it. And there's a lot of a lot of hassles that are actually very widely accepted. And, and frankly, a lot of those are exactly the same as what we see in the attractions industry. And there's a lot of it that people might think is still fun, but if you really break it down, it it can be, well, it could be a hassle. It could be a friction in the experience. For instance, the amount of time you need to take out your wallet to, when you're buying food, when you're you know buying, uh, buying drinks, whatever that is, uh, you know, as well as just a a lot of the experience that uh, is probably a little bit, a little bit less fun, perhaps, than other sports or participating in other activities. Well, and I think when you say that those friction points are widely accepted, it's because that's what we know. Exactly, and that, that's what we have grown up knowing. And when I went to the baseball games with my family, you know, the guy was walking around popcorn, peanuts, and you know, you got to pay that person, and then you got to, you know pay all these other things and you go to a park again, it's the same thing. So I think that's just accepted. And then when certain organizations say, well, why can't we change that? 
you know, that's when the innovation comes in. And it's really interesting to hear our guest today, Emily Cole, talk about removing friction points from going to see a baseball game. Yeah. So Emily Cole is the owner and director of fun. How awesome is that title for the Savannah Bananas in Savannah, Georgia, which is a team that she and her husband, Jesse, uh, took over uh, several years ago and they completely transformed the experience. And the reason we wanted to have her on the podcast is because uh, attending a Savannah's game is not so much attending a baseball game as it is attending an attraction, visiting an attraction. It is a full immersive experience. And we get to hear all about that from Emily, the way that they absolutely make baseball fun. They make the experience fun. They remove a lot of that friction that is just so widely accepted in the experience. Uh, And they put fans first. And that's, you know, that's their philosophy. And there's so many facets of that that we get to learn about when it comes to guest experience, when it comes to employee experience, when it just comes to running the business and how that is turned into a, a very profitable success, but that's not even what's important to, to Emily. It's how are we treating our people? So this is very much a, a people-focused episode, I would say. It is, absolutely. And what I love about it is there's so many parallels to what we do in the attractions world, right? Whether it's in a family entertainment center, an amusement park, theme park, zoo, whatever it is, if you've got people and you've got fans or visitors or guests, all the concepts that Emily talk, talks about are applicable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So uh, I'm super excited to uh, to go bananas here with Emily Cole. So should we get to this interview? Let's peel back the uh, peel and let's get to yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> the banana peel. Emily Cole, thank you so much for joining us today on the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Pumped to be here with you guys. What a great podcast. Thank you so much. It's going to be even greater now that you're on it. Um, (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I, along with my husband, Jesse, own the Savannah Bananas. We are a baseball team, but we are more known as a traveling circus. And so we will obviously get more into that later. But That is um, the focus of our lives, along with our three little kids, and we're just having a blast doing it together and going through life having fun. Emily, can you share a little bit of the origin story of how the Savannah Bananas came to be? Yeah, so going way back, uh, my husband Jesse and I both got involved in minor league baseball and on our own, basically right out of college. And those are, you know, those stories are are their own, but that's, we're not going to go down that, that far down the rabbit hole. Um, but we both ended up working in minor league baseball and kind of found each other. So we both started working for different teams without knowing it. My boss at Ripken baseball actually heard Jesse speak at a conference and left and called me and said, the guy on stage right now, I just met him. It's the guy you're going to marry. And, you know, I'm young, 24, trying to make my way in the industry as a a young female go-getter, truly not interested in finding anybody to marry or settling down. Um, But Jesse and I did start emailing and just sharing notes professionally. And I found that he was as passionate about this industry as I was. And so we really started that um, just respect respectful rapport with each other. And that carried on a couple of years. And then we actually re-met in person at a baseball conference. And at that point we were both like, okay, we keep, you know, finding each other in the same circles. And 
um, started dating, but that's when I moved to North Carolina and joined the team that he was with. So at that time, we ran a college summer league team just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. We did that together for a couple of years. Um, fortunately, had a lot of success. And truly, it just kept coming back to us having fun and doing things for the community. That's what we were both so passionate about. And you'll hear a lot of sports teams talk about that. But when you get into leagues that have a lot of red tape, it's a lot harder to do. And so fortunately, we were in a college summer wooden bat league, um, not a lot of red tape. We were able to have just a little bit more fun and, and toe the line a little bit more than what you'll see at a normal ballpark. And so that's where a lot of our learning happened together. It's where we grew up and tested a lot of things. And so in 2015, we had the opportunity to launch another franchise that was in Savannah, Georgia. Um, the way that that really happened was that he and I just went to a game there. We're ballpark junkies, like a lot of people in the industry are. We went to Savannah, Georgia one beautiful summer night in 2014 and realized that there was absolutely nobody in the ballpark. And we were so confused. This beautiful, majestic stadium. There was a minor league game. There had been minor league baseball there for 90 years, and there were less than 200 people there. So it was very confusing to us. We called the commissioner of our league that night and said, if this market ever becomes available, you know, we know we're young, we know we're just getting started, but we'd love to try to put a team here. And lo and behold, the team was not doing well at the time. And so the next year they were gone and we bought an expansion franchise, which is as expensive as it sounds. Uh, we went millions of dollars in debt just after we were married and, you know, in our twenties had no idea what we were doing. Um, but we had such passion for it and we believed so much in our vision of making baseball fun for communities that we really just went all in. So that was the beginning of the Savannah Bananas and that was in 2015. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing that. I love the fact that you you just went into debt and didn't know what you're doing and <laughs> millions of on, dollars went on love and passion was was what yeah. so what were some of the initial conversations about how to make this experience different than what you've seen in the past with minor league baseball? Yeah, you know, for us, it always began with the friction points. And that's really how we view a lot of things in life. While we are some of the most positive people you'll ever meet. We try to get to the root of the problem before we come up with new ideas. And so for us, we went into it thinking, okay, what are the friction points at a baseball game? Uh, one of the first things we came up with was that you're nickel and dimed. You know, we get to the parking lot and we pay $10 and then we walk inside and we pay for the ticket and then we pay $10 for a beer and $5 for a hot dog. And, you know, you're just constantly pulling out your wallet. And so while it was unheard of at the time and really still is, we created the first all-inclusive ballpark. And so that was um, a, a problem in itself. You know, we were already launching a team, which is a lot of headaches, but we created it as an all-inclusive ticket. So everybody who came into the park was not only getting their ticket and their entertainment, but they were getting all you could eat, hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, chips, non-alcoholic drinks, popcorn, and dessert included in their ticket. And so now we're trying to figure out how to feed 4,000 people in the same 20 minutes, uh, which was, you know, just a huge problem. But Really what we were doing there is saying, what is it like at all of the other sporting events that you go to? What are the headaches? What's that friction point? And then work backwards from there. Because for us, it is always going to come down to being fans first, putting the fans first. And so it's going to be harder on us, but how do we figure out how to make that friction point of pulling out your wallet every night 
disappear for the fans. And so it was very hard in the beginning. It was a disaster the first couple of nights. People waited hours for food, but we figured it out. And now we have a very successful all-you-can-eat model and our people can't believe the value that is included in their tickets. So that's just an example, I think, of ways that we flip something on its head when we go into you know a new market or launch something new. And that's such a great strategy because there, I mean, there's so many friction points across every experience of every single industry that are, they're so widely accepted uh, of, yeah, if I'm going to go to a ball game, I expect to pay for my ticket, then for my hot dog and my drink and my peanuts and my chips and, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, and being able to at least recognize to say, just because it's accepted doesn't mean that it needs to be that way. If we eliminate yes. this, then we have the potential to create a superior experience for our guests. Obviously, mm -hmm. like you said, it opens up a number of other headaches along the way of being able to actually fulfill that and serve that. Um, and, and like you said, that's that's just one example of what you've done. There are a number of things that you've done yeah. to really turn the experience around. So for those who are, who are watching or listening to this and uh, for whatever reason might not be familiar with the Savannah Banana, despite I feel like I... I feeling everywhere I turn right now, I, I see <laughs> there's more and more exposure. Uh, what is the experience like? What is it like attending a game? So our goal is to make sure that anybody who comes into the ballpark is going to have a good time. We cannot always control, we actually can never control uh, the outcome on the field, right? The guys are going to play. We're going to try to get the best people on our team. But so much of a fan's experience at a sporting event is if the team wins or loses. And so what we wanted to create was an atmosphere where regardless of what happens on the field, you leave smiling and knowing that you just had the most amazing experience that you can't get anywhere else. So we are constantly trying to put um, different things into your experience throughout the night that are going to be things you can't see anywhere else. For example, our players do choreographed dances every night. We have a dad bod cheerleading squad. So rather than having young, fit, sexy cheerleaders, we have guys in their fifties who have had a few beers and have a belly and still want to get out there and shake it. Um, we have a grandma dance team. So if you're in your seventies and you're a grandma and you would like to be on our dance team, you can be. Um, so we're constantly looking at things that people can identify with. You know, one of the biggest problems with major league sports is that fans will go to the games and they look at these guys who are out on the field and they're worth millions of dollars and they're so untouchable. And so many of us common folk, we can't relate with them. You know, they're, they're superstars, which is cool, but I have nothing in common with that guy. And so what we try to do at our ballpark is make sure that everybody who comes in can identify with somebody who's on our cast. So we have the grandmas, the banana nanas, as we call them. We have the dad bod cheerleading squad. We have a young dance team of, you know, little, little girls, little kids. Um, we've got a princess, Pata princess Potassia. So all the little girls want to get their pictures with her at the game. We have a dancing first base coach who's constantly doing flips out on the field. So if kids like dance better than baseball, that's who they're watching. So there's somebody there for everybody. And we really try to hone in on the fact that you can be entertained by, you can get an autograph from, you can get a picture with all of these different types of people and there aren't any barriers. So rather than having security all around the field, we make sure that we're bringing our cast and our players to the fans as much as possible. The first inning or the first time that we score a run 
in the game, it doesn't matter when it is, our players run through the fans high-fiving people. So everybody knows that as soon as we score for the first time, the guys are up in the stands. I mean, we are taking down that barrier as soon as possible so that people can interact with, they can high-five, they can touch these superstars. And that just carries on throughout the whole night. We have a plaza party at the end of the game where every player and every cast member will sign autographs and sing and dance with our fans for a half an hour, an hour after the game has ended. And so those are just examples of the intentionality that we put into the night and how your experience as a fan is scripted long before you come. We're trying to think about, you know, who you're going to connect with and who you're going to remember after you leave. Yeah. Emily, one of the things I do is I work with organizations and we work on leadership and, and buy-in and culture and things like that. And um, I saw your website and I saw the dancing um, players. And one of the things that that stuck to my mind was, you know, you've got these players that are there to play a game and you've got them doing choreographed dance moves, right? Which is not necessarily maybe even in their wheelhouse or, you know, something that they signed up for. So how do you get their buy-in to you know, help you with this vision? Yeah, I love that question because so many people are appalled by that and they don't understand how, again, these professional athletes that are larger than life are being so silly. Um, I'll go back to the beginning and just admit that it was very hard. You know, when we had our team in North Carolina and Jesse said, okay, guys, before practice, we're going to have a dance instructor come in and teach you. Most of the guys walked off the field. You know, they were like, absolutely not. Heck no. Um, (laughs) Social media was not as big then, I will say. So there was a lot of pushback. The guys said, I'm here to play baseball. Well, what happened is a couple of the guys did it. And those were the guys who became the most popular ones on the team, you know? So we had a small test about 15 years ago when we were first getting started. And really that's where we've learned all these things and why we have such a circus now is we've tested new things each year. But in the very beginning, when we tried, only a few of them wanted to do it, but they did become popular. And so the next year, if we had a couple of returners, we were like, actually, I think I might dance this time. Uh, You know, they knew that they were going to be the popular guys. And that has just grown now with the Savannah Bananas. Uh, guys do not get a uniform or anything in their locker room until they have gone through what we call fans first university. And that's usually a one-on-one meeting with my husband, Jesse, or our entertainment director. And they are talking to them for hours about the fans experience. We're not talking at all about balls and strikes or, you know, they're at bats or what, nothing about the baseball. We're talking about what they can bring to little kids, to grandmas, to that family who drove across the country to come watch them play. We're speaking to them about the experience that they're going to provide. And so before they even get their jersey, they're finding out what's the most important part of being a banana. And really, that's just how the whole culture is set up in our organization is we speak to the importance of that. And so the buy-in is it's so big now. And of course, now we're so fortunate that social media has grown and the guys know that if they do something wacky on the field, you know, they're going to pick up 50,000 new followers. And that's, that's uh, reason enough for them to do it. But no, the guys who are trying to be recruited, who are reaching out to us now, they are not the type of people who would shy away from a camera. Those athletes are not reaching out to us to play for us because it's just not, they know that, you know, we're not for them and that's fine, but we have thousands of players apply basically to play for us every year because they want to be the stars of the show. They want to be in front of the camera and, you know, 
move their move their booty out on the field. <laughs> I, so you've really got that line in the sand that really helps differentiate. You said this is what we are, and more importantly, this is what we're not. And there are plenty of other teams, plenty of other yeah. organizations that are available out there that that might better suit that individual who you know who is looking for. I'm coming here to play ball and hone my skills and, and do all that. Right. So and it that's changes it. Yeah. The, the shift in the purpose. Uh, yeah. It also reminds me of the movie. I think it was Take Me Out to the Ball Game with Gene Kelly. And, and they were, I mean, they were entertaining. The, I mean, it's from so many years ago, right? I don't know if <laughs> yeah. I've seen it. But it was like a few guys on the team. They they went out there and they were goofy and they did this like dance and they were, you know, all silly about it. And yeah, I don't know. It was, it was funny. <laughs> Check it out. Get a chance. Okay, um, I will. We'll get some inspiration from it. When, um, when you talk about, kind of this, you know, this type of strategy. And uh, um, you, you mentioned at the beginning, like sometimes people people were appalled by it, right? This, this is a very bold strategy for, for the players, for the employees, for, for the fans, all of that. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you faced or maybe some of the pushback that you've gotten that you've had to really absorb and, and kind of, uh, like I said, draw that line in the sand and really, really show that differentiation um, in terms of traditional baseball, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, well, honestly, when we first launched the team, I mean, we named our team after a fruit. I mean, that right there is unheard of in sports, right? And we heard it. I mean, we had people so upset sending basically death threats to our office. I mean, it was wild how upset they were over the name that we had chosen. Um, and we didn't even choose it. A, a, a local nurse suggested it. And we said, yeah, that could actually be really fun. Let's go with it. Um, but we did a name the team contest like most teams do when they start up. And we had the local community of Savannah give suggestions. But the biggest pushback was when we said, we're going to name it the Savannah Bananas. We think that's fun. We're going to be a fun brand. We want to be for kids and families and think of all the things we could do. You know, our mascot could be named Split. We thought it was great, uh, but we had so much pushback. And I think that that happens anytime an organization does something that is a little different. I mean, you referenced this earlier. People are just, they're so afraid of change. And we're just so used to doing the same thing or seeing the same thing from, you know, a certain industry. And so for sports, it's be serious, be professional, um, you know, larger than life athletes that you can't touch. There's all these expectations. And so naming the team bananas was, was definitely hard, um, coming out with the, all you can eat. So many people thought that we were ridiculous and people in the industry were, were crucifying us saying these idiots don't know what they're doing. They're, they're ruining the experience at the ballpark. Um, so we do get pushback on a lot of those things. And now one of our most recent things that we're getting pushback on is that we've just left the league that we were in, which was still college summer. Wouldn't uh, wooden bat league. And now we are doing traveling baseball year round. Uh, so we are taking the Savannah bananas on the road. It is our world tour. Uh, we say world because we are growing to the world. We're not quite going all around the globe yet. Um, but we are going all across the United States this year and people were very passionately upset with us and giving a lot of pushback saying you're not even in a real baseball league anymore. Um, you know, all these, I guess their, their viewpoint was a lot of it was incorrect, but if that's what they believed, then that's what they were passionate about. And so again, very, very hurtful things were said to not, not just my husband and I, but to our staff, which is what upsets us the most is when our people on the front line get beat up. Um, but we come back to believing in our mission. And so no matter what the pushback is, we believe that we're going to make baseball more fun. And that's our goal is to spread the gospel of banana ball. And so regardless of the 
pushback that we get and the hate that we get along the way, um, you know, we know that we're not for the baseball purists and that's okay. There are plenty of regular baseball games that you can go sit at for four hours if that's what you would like to do. Um, but that's not the fan that we're attracting. And so while staying positive about everything else, because we do believe that there's a place for everybody, um, we are going to continue to kind of march forward to the beat of our own drum and believe in fans first and believe in the bananas. Love that. Love that. And I love all of your banana puns and things that you're, you're including there. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Sorry, it just comes out. <laughs> no, it's okay. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, in my mind, especially as you're talking about going on the world tour, um, I draw a parallel to the Harlem Globetrotters. Am I right or am I wrong? So we hear that a lot and we are honored to have that you know, parallel thinking. Um, I will say there are a few major differences. We are traveling as a sport team. And honestly, the, the Globetrotters were huge. You know, they, they actually did a lot of great things for the sport of basketball. I mean, there used to be NBA games that would book them to come play before the NBA game just to sell tickets because mm -hmm. people weren't coming to the NBA game. So obviously things are a little bit different right now for the Globetrotters, but they were really big um, in the 60s and 70s. And so we do draw a lot of inspiration from them. Uh, what's a major differentiator is that our games are all competitive. So the bananas are not scripted to win. While we do script every part of your experience as a fan throughout the night, the one thing we don't script is who's going to win, who's going to lose. So we often play competitors around the, the country, other independent teams. We do have another team of ours called the party animals, of course. Um, and so we play them a lot. And so where the comparison gets a little wishy-washy is when people think that it's like the, the Washington generals, right. Who are always going to lose against the Globetrotters. Um, our party animals win often. They're very good athletes and they, they beat them. So very competitive game that you're not sure who's going to, to win or lose. And then the other thing is that the Globetrotters usually travel with a really small staff and their group of entertainers are, are their five guys on the court right. um, or ladies on the court. And so for us, we travel with 125 people. A lot of those are athletes, but then we have a full cast and crew. We have a full staff. You know, we have a full uh, bananas pep band that comes and we make it like a college game day experience with the, with the music. So traveling with 125 people is just such a larger scale and you're getting just a much different experience um, at a ballpark as you would a, yeah, one of those games. Yeah. So you mentioned the word cast uh, a couple of times now, and uh, that being, you know, more equivalent to to theater, to a show Red Disney uses cast instead of employees. Yeah. I would love to actually segue that into talking about your internal culture and what it's really like working for the bananas and being a part of the cast. And if there are bold strategies there that are unconventional or I would say against uh, traditional models of, of employment and leadership in company culture. Yeah, just like we were talking about with the players, we're so intentional about who we bring on board. And same thing, they're going to go through a lot of different steps to becoming a banana. Because for us, um, those are the people on the front line. Those are the people who are knelt down talking to little kids and helping elderly people walk to their seats or entertaining somebody when I'm not looking. You know, So we're bringing in people who are better than us at everything, people who we can totally trust. So it's a very intense process to actually become a part of, the, of our team. We have a really great internship program, uh, which we just, we believe in so much because when you work 
side by side with somebody and you get your hands dirty with somebody for an entire summer, uh, you get to know their character and you get to know if they're going to be the right fit or not. So fortunately we've grown our demand again. It was very bleak in the beginning. People did not want to work for us. And now we have fortunately grown it to have a wait list in the thousands of people who want to be a part of that cast. And so again, you know, they get on that list. There's a very intense, you know, multiple month interview process usually to get on board. And then most people do start as a part-time um, employee or an intern and kind of work their way up from there. I'd say about 75% probably of our full-time staff started as either a game day employee, just a couple hours a week um, or an intern. So we really believe in kind of fostering that relationship over time with people so that they can come in and, and learn the bananas way because it is because it is much different than working at any other team. And so, you know, we know that we're not just competing with the baseball team a couple hours away. We are competing with Disney. We are competing with Amazon. We're competing with wherever your entertainment mind could go. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're bringing in the best of the best and that they're going to entertain our fans all of the time. Yeah. You know, speaking of competing with other entertainment, you know, unfortunately, this is not the the baseball podcast, but we are the Attraction Pros podcast. And so one of the things I love about what you do is that it's very applicable to other businesses, right? And so as people are, you know, excited to become part of your team, I'm sure there's other business owners who are like, oh, how do they do that? How can they create this fan experience? And I'm wondering... Like if you had advice or thoughts for other businesses, even if they're outside of your industry, of what steps they might be able to take to create the kind of fandom and the kind of excitement that you have been able to do um, in whatever business they might have, whether it is Amazon or Disney or whoever, what, what kind of advice would you give them? It doesn't happen overnight. And so it's frustrating to us as business owners to say, you know, why is there not a line of people here who are coming to work for us? We've got such a great mission and such a great organization, um, but it takes so much time. And what we have found is that the more we treat people like family, the more that we treat people the right way, and the more we get ourselves out there, the more people hear about us and want to come be a part of it. So we are very fortunate to have a really big following online and that's not applicable to everybody. You know, not everybody can have millions of followers, but if you can put yourself out there on social media or out in the community and just become known as the people who take care of people and who treat people correctly and who have a lot of fun at work, the right people will weed themselves out and then the right people will, you know, float to the top and and be in front of you and want want to be a part of what you're creating because good people want to be a part of good things and so while it is important to find those good people it's also just as important to find that the wrong people are are getting out of the way and are not joining you and so it's it's just finding finding a way to um, put yourself out there and introduce yourself to more people we are very proud of the way that we treat our staff and that our culture is truly a culture of family. We, we say it all the time, but we are a bananas family and we, we treat our people that way. And so our, um, we've got 1% of our top line revenue that is dedicated to surprising and delighting our people. And so some years that looks like a cruise and we all go on a cruise together, which sounds huge and amazing. Um, and other times like during uh, COVID or times when the entertainment industry was not doing so well, we would do smaller things. Like we turned our office into a spa one day and we bought everybody cheap slippers and we had a mimosa bar and we hired a 
massage therapist and a hairdresser to come in and give haircuts and give massages. And so the more that you can do things like that out in the community or have good things said about you because you're treating people correctly, the more that will attract good people. So I would love to hear more about that from a standpoint of if there are stories that you love to share that really exemplify the fans first experience. So it could be could be a, a fan's experience or an employee's experience that uh, just just really showcases uh, your mission and everything that you're trying to do. Yeah, so this is is actually kind of easy for us to talk about because we reward our people based on fans first stories. And so it's never about sales numbers for us. Honestly, my husband and I don't even know the login to our bank accounts. Like it is so not about money for us. Uh, we've got a lot of great people who we trust who, you know, checks and balances, they are there. Uh, but it's just not us because that's not what we're driven by. And so what we reward people for are their fans first stories. Um, so there are a million, but there was a, a great intern named Laura who um, we have umbrellas when it rains because that is a big part of our life. We are an outdoor venue and it rains. So we always have them ready and both the players and the cast and the staff all pop up those umbrellas and walk people to their cars when it starts raining and, and the game cannot go on. Um, so one night, Laura was walking people out to her cars and all of a sudden we're looking around at the end of the night, everyone's gone. We're done cleaning up and no one can find Laura. And we're all like, where is Laura? Where has she been? Uh, but she comes back soaking wet, like 20 minutes later. And she's like, I just, I walked that gentleman home. And we were saying, what do you mean you walked him home? And it was an, it was an elderly gentleman, but he lived like a mile away and he had walked to the game. So she walked him home with an umbrella over him. And then she walked back. She'd been with us for two weeks. She was an intern. And she turned to my husband, Jesse, and she's like, hey, fans first, right? And it's just, it's so amazing that people can come in, be very new with your organization. But if your mission is that simple, if they know, hey, it is take care of the fans, it is fans first, um, that spreads through your culture so quickly. And it's so easy for, for those good people to pick up. So that's one of my favorite fans first stories. That's awesome. That's awesome. Especially since she had only been with you for a short time. Right. And yeah. she already had that that feeling and that culture was was embedded in her, which was which was which was amazing. Um, one of the things I I am constantly curious about with with every organization is maintaining that culture. Right. And, you know, we talked a little bit about with the uh, with the with the players and you just mentioned a great story, um, but it can be hard to maintain that high level of enthusiasm and, and happiness and culture. And so what are some things that you are doing, um, whether it's you and your husband or your management team that really helps to create and sustain that culture and probably take it to the next level? Yeah, we definitely don't have it all figured out. Um, but this is something that my husband and I and our leadership team do focus on a lot. We are constantly reading. We're all lifelong learners, but we're constantly reading and listening to podcasts and trying to figure out how to continue to perfect that culture because that is one of the most sacred things that we have. And you're right, if that does start to go downhill, that's where all of our cracks are going to show. And that's, you know, things will fall apart quickly that way. So we're very, very careful on how we're continuing to build that. Um, like I mentioned, the 1% is important to us because we constantly want to put our money back into our people. Um, but that's a money thing. So again, we don't truly focus on that all the time. That's a, that's a bonus, I guess. And we do really special things. Like we send people on their bucket list trips and things with their family and friends, because we, we do spend a lot of time together as a staff. So we do try to make sure that the special things that we do 
and how we tell you as an employee, we care about you is what we believe is spend more time with the people you care about. And, you know, you're here all the time, but how do we give back to you in a way that means a lot to you? So we're very intentional about that sort of thing. Um, around the holidays last year, we sent everybody to the outlets. We rented a party bus and we gave everybody a $500 gift card. So they got some of their Christmas shopping done, you know, ahead of time. And so again, we're, we're trying to think about what makes their life easier and how can we make their life happier? Um, but yes, we're very careful about how we interact with people, how we reward people. Um, we read a book called Whale Done by Ken Blanchard, and it's basically a, about how the whales, I think it was SeaWorld, um, they're rewarded when they do tricks well, and then they're ignored when they do things wrong. Um, not to say that we ignore problems because we're actually believers in, hey, nip it in the bud and bring it up quickly and then move on. But we do also really focus on the whale done approach of, hey, let's shout from the rooftops when somebody does something that we want everybody else to emulate. And so we're very quick to praise publicly within our office. Um, we've got a, it started years ago as an email called the email, the best email chain ever. And now it has moved over to our team's chat where it's just the best uh, fans first shout outs, but it's constantly being blown up with messages from everyone in the company shouting somebody else out. So there's a lot of peer recognition. There's a lot of recognition from our leaders. Um, it's just a lot of positive stuff. We really don't focus a lot on the negative and we're just constantly instilling in people what our mission is and how what they did related back to that and how, um, you know, they're growing as a person and as an employee. And we really just focus on that so much that I think it gives a great deal of pride to people. Um, and then again, treating people like family. My husband, Jesse writes a thank you letter every single morning he has for six years. And so often he's going through the rotation and it ends up being somebody on our staff. Um, I'm constantly trying to text people and motivate them or, or thank them for something that they did. Or um, it's not always work-related. You know, if somebody buys a house or, or has, you know, we send a hundred bucks on Venmo and say, you know, saw that, you know, this was coming up in your life or this anniversary is coming up, like go spend this on your whomever. Um, so we're just very intentional on how we treat people and how we recognize people within the office. And then of course, those big surprises and rewards that we can do as a group are special as well. Do you find that, with the level of intentionality and really setting that in stone from day one, that this is the culture we're going to invest, you know, reinvest 1% back into the team. We're going to write thank you letters. We're going to uh, focus so much on the positive and the, and the recognition. Uh, does that tend to build momentum and, and really snowball upon itself to really make it, make it easier? Or is it, is it, is there that continuous intentionality today as there was, back when the team started or does that momentum also then now flow through to the leadership now they're naturally embodying the culture and delivering to the frontline staff as well yeah that last part that you said i think is exactly right so we started with five of us and you know is my husband jesse and i our president jared who is still our president um and then a couple 22 year olds right out of college and so we had this really green group of people and we believed in it you know we were not much of leaders back then because we were young and just figuring stuff out too. But now we have over 35 full-time people. And so they have all learned this culture and they are now all treating people the way we are hoping and the way, you know, some of the things we've mentioned they're doing, they're shouting each other out, they're recognizing each other and surprising and delighting each other and writing thank you notes. And um, so I think because it has spread so much, 
it is easier because everyone in our company believes in it. And it's not just me or the head of HR who's trying to, you know, scramble and send out thank you notes and keep morale up. Um, It's just such a part of our culture that everybody across the board does it. And when you have true buy-in like that, I think it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Emily, I'm wondering um, if we could kind of go back a little bit to the very part of beginning part of the um, the discussion where you talked about friction points, and it really sounds like you've obviously done a good job with that for the, with your guests and also your your team members, your cast, your employees. Um, I'm wondering if there's other friction points you can share with us that you noticed as part of the experience, and do you still notice some friction points that you didn't? recognize when you first started that you're still trying to um, eliminate as part of the experience? Yeah, I think just with growth comes new friction points that you weren't anticipating or you didn't even know exist. I mean, for example, we launched our world tour dates um, two weeks ago. So we tell the world, hey, get ready, watch YouTube. We're going to have this huge stream that we put a lot of time and effort and money into. And we said, you know, get ready. We're going to tell you everywhere we're going to play in 2023. You're going to want to watch this. Well, we were expecting people to log on and watch the video, but we had never had the response that we had that night. And fortunately it worked and a lot of people watched, but 55,000 people at the same time tried to buy tickets to a game and our website crashed. Um, those friction points are are there, but for us, a small company like us, because believe it or not, we are still small and we're still a startup. I mean, we're in year seven. So that really is kind of the infancy stage of a lot of these major corporations. Um, we haven't figured that stuff out yet, you know? So we don't have an Amazon type platform where we can handle hundreds of thousands of viewers at every second. So when you have that many people visit a website at the same time, you've never had it before, you're going to run into friction points and problems that you were not anticipating. And so, I mean, we have a a list of friction points and, and problems and headaches, you know, all day long, I could tell you, but I think it just comes with the growth of uncharted, uncharted territory where you as a company, you know, you're moving as like a speedboat and you've got to be able to, to move and navigate around these things. And so that comes down to us being nimble and creative and scrappy and figuring those things out as you grow. But yes, we have a laundry list of headaches and friction points that we work through on the daily, because again, for us, it comes back to the fans experience. And so anytime we come up with something that could be a little bit of a friction point for them, uh, becomes a friction point for us. And we try to figure that out. So Emily, one of the things that uh, that we're also curious about too in the in the last few minutes that we have here is in addition to the bananas, you are also an Airbnb super host with properties on Tybee yeah. Island and would love to know a little bit if is that is that process very similar from a fan's first type of mentality or, or is it or is it very, I imagine obviously there's the specific logistics of it that can be very different, but are there maybe more similarities than people think to running a baseball team? Absolutely. We try to fans first everything in our life. So the story of having Airbnbs actually started because Jesse and I had to sell the dream house that we had as as newlyweds in Charlotte, North Carolina, and put all that money into the Savannah Bananas when we started. Because again, we had just gone super in debt and we needed to, to really turn that team around. So we bought the grossest little uh, fixer upper on Tyvee. It was a duplex. And so we knew that we could constantly be making revenue from that. And so 
we started it, we fixed it up over time. And now we kind of kept it as a memento to show just like the true hard work that you could have. Um, it's just this little like studio apartment, but we rent it out all the time. And it reminds us of how everything started. Um, but yeah, we treat our guests so different from I think what a lot of other hotels or um, hospitality, you know, people do, we don't have cancellation fees, we let you bring your pets for free, you know, just all those little things that are usually added on, because again, that's a friction point, all of those add on fees, all those convenience fees that are not convenient at all. Uh, we try to take that out of your experience as a traveler. And so we leave gifts and we take out the extra fees and we try to make it a pretty turnkey vacation for you. And we have a lot of fun meeting people from all over the world who are often coming to see the bananas in Savannah. <laughs> so it's all tied together. Yeah. Well, it's the same mentality, right? And it's the same intentionality. And you've used that word a number of times. And I love the fact that you've used it. And one of the things that, um, as, as Josh said, we're kind of running low on, on time here. But one of the things I'd like to ask a little bit about is if you could go back, like when your husband and you were starting this, is there any advice that you would give you and your husband um, as you were starting this now knowing what you know? It's so cliche, but no, I wouldn't change anything. We were so blindly optimistic. Um, if we had known anything else or if anything else had happened differently, I don't think we'd be where we are today. And we're just so grateful for how we grew, um, how our relationship grew through this, uh, how our family grew through this, that if anything were tweaked, I don't think we would have this phenomenal life that we have now. Mm. So as the Savannah Bananas keeps pushing the envelope and, and going further and making this fan fans first experience that is uh, truly remarkable, what's next? What uh, What is maybe on the drawing board that you say, I'd love it if we can do X, Y, Z for our fans, for our employees, et cetera? <laughs> Yeah. So for us, the focus now is just growing the brand, which means creating more fans. And so while our world tour is taking us to 33 cities in 2023, the goal is more fans the next year. Uh, we've had amazing conversations with different major league parks who want us to come to their ballparks and just different, really cool, different venues that want us to come play games there, you know, places you would never think a baseball game could be hosted. And so for us, it's going to be pushing the envelope and making baseball fun for as many people as we can reach. That is going to continue to be the bananas goal. And we're just having fun coming up with those ways to achieve it. Well, Emily, this has been a great conversation and I can't wait to go check out your website to see if uh, the bananas are coming around near me. Um, so as we uh, kind of wind this down, if people want to know more about you or Savannah bananas, where would you send them? So our website is the savannabananas.com, but where people spend most of their time is on our TikTok. Um, I have not broken down and gotten a TikTok yet, but when I see all of our TikToks on Instagram, um, I go down that rabbit hole too. It's, it's a lot of fun and people spend hours on there. So just check out our social medias or the savannabananas.com. You'll be able to see which city we're coming to in 2023. Hopefully it'll be close to you and you can come check us out. Awesome. Any final thoughts or words of wisdom for our audience? <laughs> I don't know about words of wisdom, but um, I just think it's important that you enjoy what you're doing in life. And, you know, we will say that we're never working. We're just hanging out with our family, creating fun for more family members who maybe we haven't met yet. 
And I just think that that's so important. So if you're in a spot where that's not what your day looks like, keep looking until you do find that because it's out there. And if you follow your passions, then you'll find a job that makes sense for you and doesn't really seem like a job. Absolutely. Such a, an optimist view to, to end on. So thank you so much, Emily, for your time today. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.